Welcome back to Probably About Politics. This episode, a look back and a look forward. Mm-hmm. We start Both. where we we reached, we begin where we began, we we end where we started. Yeah. This is not the end. This is not the beginning. This is very much a middle episode of Probably <laughs> yeah. About Politics. But we're returning to aha. Okay, here's here's how here's how we go. A return to the beginning, not only of probably politics, but of all democracy. Greece. Wow. Alas. That's heavy, but, you know, I think that's the type of weight that we should try and carry in our podcast. The Hellenic Parliament. Aristotle. (laughs) We're we're back. We're going real far back. (laughs) All right. So to understand what's happening in Greece right now, we really, I don't know like 2500 bc probably we got to start with Mm -hmm. if the (laughs) i okay that's the timeline i've been using kayla and i were just talking we're talking about how politics is cyclical so i don't think we have to go back Mm -hmm. that far back maybe one cycle back and we'll basically just pretend that's the wheel of time keeps on rolling for 2000 years 4000 years just yeah let's just say it's entirely representative uh throw out your history books we don't it is Mm-hmm. 2019 it is i don't i don't disagree <laughs> <laughs> so this episode we're coming at you in three parts like all good things uh we're gonna start off with coverage of the greek election just like pap one just like the first episode ever greece in that in that election yes. we we're talking about some names that are going to be coming up again alexis cypress Saritza, left-wing populism the embracing of extremism in uh, European politics, potentially. A lot of these things. Debt, the European Union, uh, which we've talked about. Bailouts, yeah. And then we're going to be moving on from politics and still tying back a little bit into that with why we named the whole show probably about politics because we're going to talk about some Mm -hmm. space news, which is (laughs) a, a a section called phases of the moon which we started in our first mm-hmm. ever episodes and never did again but we're going back to our roots no uh and then yeah. uh we'll go into our second phase of the moon which is where we talk about the actions and goings on of the secretary general of the united nations we'll catch up a little bit with where not ban Ki moon but where antonio gutierrez has been for the last <laughs> four and a half years right kaylee <laughs> <laughs> right yeah four and a half years two weeks it's we all the same up. That's the thing. We're talking in our last episode about how the secretary general has such long terms, right? These end up being, they end up being there for like 10 years. And so we only got to catch up with them every, every four and a half. It's fine. Yeah. I mean, we bet on that. I think when we named it phases of the moon, this section that we did give up very quickly, but like we name it this (laughs) and then Ban Ki-moon almost immediately decides he's done. Yeah. (laughs) So without, Without further ado, we're going to get into all that stuff. But to start, we have a new prime minister in Greece, Kyriakos Mitsotakis, the son mm-hmm. of another prime minister, Mitsotakis, from the 90s. Um, again, politics is a cycle. Everything, time <laughs> is a flat circle. The earth is also a flat circle. It's 2019. All these. <laughs> <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> Yeah, our phases of the moon this week is actually how when you go to space and look at Earth, it's just a disc. It's just flat. Uh, We're verifying things you never thought. This turns out to be a podcast you didn't think it was. It's just full of conspiracies. I want to make a joke about like Area 51 or something, but I just I know this this episode will not age well if I just start going on no. about rating Area 51. 
and it'll really reveal that I am not the one of the two of us who's hip with the kids. Come on, you didn't. Do- okay, we got two. We got two memes of the week, Kaylee. We got raiding okay. Area Fifty One to find the aliens and the face app right. looking old. Right? Come on. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I. I mean, I've seen both yeah. of them. I just. <laughs> It's just like, uh, you know, it's it's like talking about uh, space-related physics. It is all Greek to me. Hey! So, we got uh, Prime Minister Mitsotakis here. Ousts! Ousts Alexis Tipris and Saritza from power, forming a mm-hmm. new majority government. Why? Why were people so mad with Alexis Tsipras? And why is what's with the embracing of just middle-of-the-road, center-right dynastic families in greece what's going on <laughs> um i think that yeah so it, it, it syriza or syriza and and tipras is as leader of his party i don't it was it, uh, safe to say it was like never a dull moment for greece like that it was a rocky Except economically <laughs> exceptionally dull Except- moment <laughs> Yeah, it, it, a perilous cliff, maybe in some way. Like it was not climbing, and then it, I mean, and, and admittedly now they're finally out of the bailout phase. But but he came in kind of like a with a bang, and and you know you had Europe was really worried. I think you, if you listen to the podcast we talked, we were talking about, we were really like speculating on what does it mean to have Tipperes come in because he was somebody who was coming in and saying Greece was not going to accept the austerity measures and the terms yeah. of the bailouts that the EU was um, giving mm-hmm. them that had really created a situation that I think for many Greeks and especially young Greeks looked like there was no there was no coming out mm-hmm. of it like what there's no future in Greece this is the end of Greece that kind of how it yeah. felt Greek, Greek unemployment of uh, in the youths is exceptionally high still right some, some yeah. general unemployment has kind of been creeping down closer to european levels but still much higher but still much higher, yeah. the, the youth market is like crazy levels of unemployment still in greece yeah i think the yeah the number i saw on it saw on it was like so general unemployment is 18 percent, which is very high but for youth it's 40 percent which means 40 um, percent of the people looking for work who want to have a job cannot have a job mm-hmm. right now yeah and then on the other end it's like a huge i don't remember what the number is it's very large but a large number of young greeks uh who uh who the, the new prime minister really highlights as being like the educated the talented have actually just left they're yeah. they're no longer in the country huge brain drain going on in greece and also interestingly talking about the youth vote potentially is that this mm-hmm. was the first election in greece for the first national mm-hmm. election with a lowered voting age to 17. Yeah. There's a couple interesting, like, if you note, like, there were a couple interesting changes that happened. Like, in theory, it was supposed to be the first election where all the seats would be proportionally, like, delivered. Um, because traditionally, it would be the the party, uh, th- uh, the 300, like, all th- the 300 seats would be awarded proportionally. Mm-hmm. And then the party, traditionally, though, that would win the, the most seats uh, would have received a 50 seat bonus and then in theory this wouldn't happen in this election but it didn't pass so uh mito Ta- mitotakis got a 50 mm. seat bonus when he won um so there's like a couple things like that where there's like we're gonna lower the voting age to 17 but we're gonna ho- hold it on a sunday in the middle of summer when it's 40 degrees celsius out 
and uh, you know we and we're pretty sure all the youth are just going to go to the beach that day. They're not going to try and vote. So they had record low turnout, like fifty seven percent. And then and then like this thing where they're like, we have this idea, we're going to proportionally deliver these seats, but we didn't pass it in time, so it's not going to work yeah. this time. Um, yeah, which I think. It's kind of interesting how a lot of electoral systems, it seems that we're talking about, they seem to be in flux, like changing Mm -hmm. the way that people vote or changing representation types. And we talked recently about consensus government and very few people are doing that. But I think there's kind of an interest (laughs) in proportional representation and how the and like making democracies more democratic and having Mm -hmm. more women in and uh, and uh, mm-hmm. other minority groups or underrepresented groups in democracies i see a lot it's kind of a trend over the last four years i guess is including uh different types of names onto party uh name lists and having minimums mm-hmm. and having these more proportionally yeah. uh divvied up democracy yeah and and something i think that greece is a good country to like think about this with and, and something that i like this is really just something i've personally been thinking about for a while but is like Greece really thought, well, we need we need change, so we'll go for the the populist guy. But a lot of a few articles I read really pointed out, like that in we're speaking to some experts are saying like if you don't exercise democracy enough, like the Greek people aren't getting to go to the polls enough, then that then they don't feel represented. And really, like a a voting system that doesn't feel like it represents you um, creates a lot more of the disenchantment and. So creating a system that is actually representative of you, that you are able to participate, actually might be more what you want as a Greek, for example, as a Greek citizen, than vote, than having swung to the populism side where you experience a lot of, it, it was, it, it, it had its pros and its cons, like you see the instinct to have voted for somebody who said, we're going to throw out the rule book that says this is how we do it. And, and usher in some change, but it did create a lot of chaos and it didn't necessarily change how well you as an individual were being mm-hmm. represented. Does that, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. And also along with that comes throwing out the rule book while being literally a rule maker. <laughs> you are a <Yes>. legislator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, seems pretty counterintuitive to a lot of people, kind of contrary to the job that you're actually doing. It's really hard mm-hmm. to be uh, anti-establishment as a prime minister mm-hmm. um, and when people don't feel representative represented along with seemingly a person not representing who they actually are people don't like it mm-hmm. when you say one thing and do another and i mean that's a yeah. common criticism of a lot of politicians <laughs> but when you rally and rail against uh the european union telling you what to do and then immediately accept what they tell you to do uh, and then try and tax the middle class to try and mm-hmm. redistribute wealth kind of unsuccessfully, even though you're kind of trying to help the middle. It really ends up kind of being a really muddled mm-hmm. four and a half years. Yeah. And I think it's, so it's, it's also like, yeah, it's like, it's like they, it's sort of a cynical thing to say, but you know, it's easy to be a critic. Like it's easy to be on the outside railing against what's happening, and then once you get in on the inside, and 
And and I think it was interesting, like a lot of articles seem to be highlighting that uh, Tipperas um, now would be able to like, because he's not in government, he could actually like start shaping the party that he wanted because he's sort of gone into government. And I think having to uh, concede to another bailout and like he just sort of evolved his policies. And the, so the party was evolving while being in government, but that's not an easy yeah. Or really recommended thing to do. So there's some people who are really saying like he's out, but he didn't lose by that much mm-hmm. if you subtract the 50 bonus seats that you mm-hmm. get. And and he sort of evolved. People say as a statesman that was uh, he he. I think he was not un, super unpopular at the European level. And uh, so it it'll be interesting to see like how how he evolves his party if he evolves it and if he can manage to be. Like I think some people are very cynical that like or and sort of the uh, the new democracy would was kind of like saying like now he'll just go into the opposition and be the critic mm-hmm. again. But like, will that evolve? Will they become the real second party in Greece for this period of time? Yeah, and sort of in that vein, more generally, I think it's always it it creates kind of a stronger um, character normally to start somewhere and not be prepared for it, but have to do it anyway, and then come mm-hmm. out of it and then decide, you know, to want, and then have your, your stronger opinions kind of forged now and now go forward mm-hmm. and kind of solidify the party because he's kind of been, it's kind of been forged that way rather than putting all of these things together through um, ideology alone and then coming mm-hmm. out the other side and then trying to be in government. So it'll, it, that's yeah. definitely an interesting thing to look in the because I mean there's still opposition there there's mm-hmm. you know eight points separating them in the polls right by the popular yeah. vote so mm-hmm. it is by no it is you know by swings of the rest of the parties it is kind of a rejection obviously um, but mm-hmm. there's definitely a simmer <laughs> yeah it's it's not I, I don't think yeah it's not strictly as dramatic as they would say um, I think but. We can talk about some other good news in that, like, in the combination of being sort of Greece was was sort of when we were covering it, like, as, as we said, it was it was a country that was swinging to populism. And I think we could have had no idea, like, how forecasting that might be of other elections in other countries that we would cover in Europe, in the West, globally, even uh, moving towards more populist leaders. But then also... Um, they elected, um, I think the third, the golden dawn, the neo-Nazi party is the third most popular party in that election. And now they've officially been, you know, they didn't meet the 3% threshold to make it into parliament this time. And that's it. I mean, they did get like 2.93% of the vote, (laughs) I think. (laughs) So I I don't know that it was again, the, the thrashing that, um, that you might be tempted to believe it is but it's still like an interest another interesting sort of from 2015 when we covered it to now yeah and that's that's kind of an interesting point because when i was looking back at kind of some of some coverage of this election i remember i remember talking about the golden dawn with you um mm-hmm. and looking at at this coverage now like i didn't see anything about them and i kept thinking I'm like mm-hmm. was that like was that hungary that we covered with the golden dawn or <laughs> yeah. was that was that greece but it's good that you bring it up and and cure my amnesia here because it may it makes me feel like I'm, <laughs> I'm not so crazy. Yeah, no, it's a it it was a big deal at the time because it you know it, 
it hadn't been I mean there were there were whispers that this might be a trend that that continues globally and I and we have I think repeatedly had to cover uh European parties with neo-nazi tendencies or or just straight up being neo-nazis yeah. Um, and, and, and look, when they were, when they were in power, they were certainly part of that chaos that sort of encompassed the 2015 to now of, uh, the, uh, of Tipperas's, uh, prime ministership. Like, I think senior members of the, of the, the party are on trial for having killed a anti-fascist rapper. Um, yeah, so it was, it was a good, and it, it really is, uh, probably a, but I mean, so we're talking about what is the difference between we were we were talking about this before. Like, what's the difference between Tipras and Mitos, Mitotakis? And I think that'll be interesting because a lot of what I think you can you can sort of attribute some of Golden Dawn's fall to the reemergence of new democracy, which is traditionally um, probably a right leaning. Uh, Mitotakis has, in theory, and I think. It, to a certain degree in practice move them to be probably a center right party um but they do still have certain um certainly certain members and parts of it that are very anti-immigrant that are um more conservative in their sort of religious leanings and nationalism tendencies and and because of that i think that um and and since uh Tipperas's like election was sort of the downfall of the new democracy, the party that is now back. Um, Golden Dawn was able to also take advantage of that. So I think it'll be interesting to see like does does how much does Mitsotakis as prime minister like feed into um, or have to give into some of those tendencies, the, the the tendencies that have existed in that party that are sort of the basis of its foundation um, and certainly make up some of its voters. Um, and then what does, like, he is, you know, he's planning to privatize services broadly, like lower taxes. These, these things will, are definitely, it could be great success for Greece, but on the other end, they are what Greece roundly rejected when they elected Tibras mm -hmm. because of what they led to, what they're seen to have, have been, what, they, what they're seen to have led to, um, for Greece. So I, it's just, is it a cycle that is positive and that Greece will be able to come out of this? I, I hope so. And I think that there, there are some hopeful signs in that, but it could very well be the opposite. Because is it really, an, is the new democracy really a new party? Because they are an old party. You know what I mm. mean? <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, so th I think that was a pretty nice look back oh, on, yeah. on Greece and look forward, I guess, on Greece. But we're looking back in other ways this week right? We're looking back, yeah. not just on our own podcast, our own history, but in space news, space news, my Instagram feed has been just flooded with photographs of the Apollo 11 trio <laughs> in their little, in their little caps. Mm -hmm. I got, I got a picture the other day of them eating breakfast, steak and eggs before they went to space. Uh, okay. For some reason, do you think that sits well as you're launching? <laughs> I guess, yeah. I mean, you would think <laughs> from from everything that comes out about NASA, that is definitely something that they planned months in advance, <laughs> practiced cooking the eggs, practiced cooking the steak, exactly how it was going to go. 
Um, mm-hmm. But I think I'm kind of I'm kind of Apollo Eleven out this week. I don't know about you. I don't know about our listeners. But well, yeah. And I mean that entire thing is drenched in politics, obviously, right? Yeah. Look, there's other there's other things in space news. We don't cover <laughs> the mainstream politics. Let's So we have two things to talk about this week in space news. One of them is kind of tied to Apollo eleven, that kind of era of space, which I think is really mm-hmm. cool. And the uh, and the next yeah. is kind of new but also old. Um so it mm-hmm. fits with the theme of looking back. I really, really tried, okay? <laughs> <laughs> No, no, you're killing it. You're going to uh, kill it. I really it. tried to like look back and look for But okay. So something that's... Have you seen the movie uh, The Terminal with Tom Hanks? For the sake of this, we can say yes, but I have not. <laughs> that's fine. Okay. So The Terminal <laughs> is like... It's, it's such a good movie. Tom Hanks mm-hmm. is... Um, he's basically from some country in Eastern Europe and there's a war going on and he's in the air flying to the US. And while mm-hmm. he's in the air... His country, because of this war, just doesn't exist anymore. Like it gets taken over by this other country. And so when he Uh. lands, he's not allowed to leave the airport terminal because he can't get through immigration into the States because he doesn't have a valid passport. (laughs) And well, that is an incredibly political problem. And so so then he's like just it's it's such a it's like a really heartwarming but kind of sad at times but also hilarious movie of tom hanks Mm -hmm. just like living in an airport terminal for for like the (laughs) longest time and just like getting to know everybody and like all he has to eat are like crackers from like a soup place and like he gets very creative and he like starts to like do construction there and it's crazy but a space related thing to this happened okay Mm -hmm. At the end of the Cold War, yeah, uh, there was a guy, Sergei Krikalev, in space on the Soviet space station Mir. Mm-hmm. And while he's in space, okay, he's a Soviet cosmonaut. While he's in space, the Soviet Union dissolves. Wow. Yeah. I I guess this makes sense. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and this is in this is in 1992 right mm-hmm. um or i guess at the end of 1991 and then he's still in space he comes back in 1992 and his country doesn't exist anymore <laughs> his city that he's from Jeez. leningrad is now st petersburg yeah he comes back he ah. spends four months in space with no country and like his passport's not ah. valid anymore or anything uh, yeah and i there's kind of like uh there's kind of like a fake story where he's like stuck in space and can't come back because he doesn't have a country <laughs> It's not entirely yeah. true. Like other visitors were going up and like the like ex-Soviet bloc was trying to like raise money by like sending people to the space station that they had. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like he had people going there and like food and stuff. And he was mostly staying there to help run the station because nobody else knew how. But mm-hmm. I really like the kind of terminal like similarities and that but, there's just yeah. this guy literally stuck in space and he can't come back. But an actually an actual yeah. funny part is where he was actually from, like where he was living was was now mm-hmm. Kazakhstan. It was like a totally new country. <laughs> <laughs> and he came back and after the dissolution of the Soviet Union, they formed a military and he was supposed to be he was drafted into the military. And mm-hmm. when he got back to Earth from space, he uh, was court <laughs> he was court martialed for deserting the military and not showing up to his draft. Uh, Jesus. <laughs> uh, and and nobody would, and nobody would believe him that he had been that he had been in space the whole time and so he, he mm-hmm. couldn't make it um 
eventually eventually they believed him and like everything everything was figured out but anyway that's just like a cold war era space race era type story that's not apollo 11 but it's interesting and also tied to politics i thought it was kind of cool yeah i mean it's like super interesting in several ways like the movie the terminal sounds like it's very interesting because like that's totally a thing like the problem with nationhood is what happens when your nation's gone like and the impermanence of that that we we just assume that they're there forever not that you have an Um, entire master's degree in this (laughs) (laughs) what happens when countries disappear yeah but no it's it's very it's uh it's very interesting that that was a good good space fact i like it what is so there's another one yeah okay yeah Never mind. We're done with Sergei Krikalev. He's back on Earth. Yeah. He's actually, he's like, he's some like big shot in like Russian stuff now. He, like, you can probably, you can probably, exactly so, what you're imagining. He's like some sort of CEO of some like oil company or something now. Um, so, so fun guy. Yeah, but he's doing well. He's fine. Right. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's something. And actually, in, in that first episode that we did <laughs> and in that mm-hmm. phases of the moon, we talked about, Scott Kelly, the American astronaut who was going to stay on the space station for like a whole year. That that yeah, that was yeah. the space thing that we talked about. Yes. And yeah. he was going to have like the most consecutive time in space. But Sergei Krikalev actually holds the time dilation record for having the most seconds like added onto his life uh, because of how fast he was oh. going around space, around Earth and space. Um, we don't have to get so into if, special relativity on this episode. Okay, because <laughs> I immediately have a lot of questions, but let, we'll do another segment. It's fine. This is okay. <laughs> Listen to our new episode, probably about relativity, where we go into time dilation on the International <laughs> Space Station and how your head is older yes. than your feet because your feet are closer to a large uh, gravitational well that is the Earth, right? Anyway, I'll believe it. It's just, it's just littered with space facts. We got like four and a half years of space facts built up. <laughs> um, okay. But actually I didn't want to spend so long, so long talking about Sergei Krikalev, but we did. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the actual cool thing that I want to talk about. Um, yes. Do you got, do you listen to design details as a podcast? No. Okay. Cause every shout out to design details, spec FM super good podcast it's about like these designers and they have cool things that they show at the end of every episode that they just like like that week which we should do Mm -hmm. but this cool thing do you know the hubble constant um what did you say you know the (laughs) the hubble Hubble constant okay if i had to ask you okay kaylee yeah expert in many things but also non-expert in many (laughs) (laughs) yes is would you say the universe is getting bigger or smaller or staying the same oh i feel like i had this question posed to me recently uh i feel like it's getting bigger that would be my it's guess. getting bigger cool yeah it's yeah it's expanding do you think it's nice. it's getting bigger at a faster rate a slower rate or staying the same the rate of its expansion um, harder question faster seems scarier so i'm gonna go with faster <laughs> <laughs> ever the pessimist always looking for danger uh yeah you're right you're a nobel laureate i mean we're uh, well, we've been talking about space, but you should note that the idea of space travel terrifies no. me. No. And I have absolutely no desire to go to space. <laughs> this may be where we dramatically differ. I I don't know. <laughs> I like when I was like young and like wanting to be contrary. And I was like, everyone was like, I don't want to go. And I'd be like, I'd go to Mars. But now, I don't know. Probably not. I have like <laughs> friends and like people that I care about here. 
<laughs> what if I come back and my country doesn't yeah, exist? Yeah, imagine. Well, you have your own country. You like you're living on Mars or something. Um, and I saw that black hole. That was you know, <laughs> yeah. We we should have done space news that week. That was huge. We could have done gravitational waves. To, never mind. Okay, Hubble constant. We got to stay on track here, Kaylee. Come on. You can tell that that we normally have a format that we're going to talk about a layout yeah. for the episodes when we talk about politics mm-hmm. but i control i control the science part and i'm flying by the seat of my pants here and look i have no nothing to rein you in literally so. no idea what's going on okay <laughs> i because i i said to kaylee before we started this i said i don't want to tell you what i'm going to talk about because i want i want to hear your shock live mm-hmm. um okay so the hubble constant i hope i've been doing it Kind, the Hubble constant kind of like holds a special place in my heart um, mm-hmm. because the first Nobel laureate that I was ever in the same room with. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag humble brag. <laughs> right? It's, it's fine. I, I yeah. emailed him afterwards and he never replied. So whatever. Adam, Shout out to Adam Reese. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so he won a Nobel Prize for like discovering that the universe is expanding at an, at an ever increasing rate like it's accelerating mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and now there's all of this work been, that's been done like since then on whether or not like to try to find what the actual rate of expansion is so we know that it's mm-hmm. increasing now but we don't know what it is which is kind of like a weird place to be okay. yeah and so i just wanted to like highlight this because people can look at it or not but i just find like it's like something that's that like we're on earth right you know that if you drop something mm-hmm it's going to accelerate towards the earth at like 9.8 meters per second squared. Right. Like that is like gravitational force on earth. Um, I mean like not in the specifics, but yes. But yeah. Like you could, I, you I'm could like go to Google and I'm that, like, yeah. Hey Kaylee, how fast is an apple going to fall to the ground? You're like, I can look that up. I'm going to ignore air. Yes. Yes. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> but so like that exact same thing, like that, like fundamental, like how much is this thing accelerating? Uh, mm-hmm. We don't know. And so there is this wow. new work from Wendy Friedman uh, and like 12, 13 other people out of uh, mainly uh, American institutions. She's at uh, the University of Chicago. Uh, and they found like a new way to determine the Hubble constant. And their way mm-hmm. uh, will be like super brief now because we're going kind of long with science. But <laughs> <laughs> their way like totally disagrees with um, the established kind of three other methods that I'll say it's mm-hmm. like they're all they're all like oh it's like 73 or 74 or 72 and she's like nah it's probably like 68 or 69 <laughs> um okay and and so this actually matters because okay i yeah. keep saying numbers that i'm like yeah Kayla, you obviously know like the gravitational force of earth 9.8 meters per second squared but i do know if you yeah. if you had to know like i feel like these are things that like are kind of like fundamental and there's still ongoing research on this which is i find which is what i find really interesting about it and mm-hmm. like yeah this number is either different because she didn't account for dust properly which is what adam reese kind of says <laughs> like, he's like Man. well if you look at the dust the way we look at the dust they actually match so it's cool but if they yeah. if not it's like actual new physics and the, the reason why I think this is kind of cool is because we're taking looks back and it's all, see, it's coming, mm-hmm. tying together. <laughs> yeah. We're, it's all about it, dust. No, it's not. Okay. It is all, literally all of, okay. all of astronomy is about dust. <laughs> don't, don't listen to what they say. Cosmologists is dust people. 
But uh, <laughs> I feel like a fact that's like nailed down all the time. People are like, how old, if you're trying to really take a look back, how old is the age of the universe? Mm-hmm. You know that, um, you know, you know this no. number? <laughs> no, oh. why would I know this number? Oh, bruh, we need to have science sections way more often, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is this is a fun this is a fun part where i get to be like no nah, i don't know this <laughs> this this would never fly if i'm like uh no i don't know what uh left-wing populism is but you, you <laughs> refused to tell me what i had to research <laughs> fair <laughs> fair 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 uh so so the, okay Taking a look back, the furthest you can go is 13.7 billion years. Okay, the furthest we can see back right. with telescopes is less than that. But like that's like the number for the age of the universe. Ever since I was like a little boy, I've always been mm-hmm. like, man, I can't wait to be old enough so that that number is different. Because like mm-hmm. it's going to take like, you know, <laughs> it's going to take like 100 yeah. million years to be like 13.8 instead yeah. of 13.7. But all the yeah. time, like I read a, I read an article or something and it's like 13.7 again. I'm like, damn it. It's so close. I I just want it to be, I want it to be older, but it's like one of those things that never changes. Um, yeah. But if you redetermine the Hubble constant and recalculate backwards how much the universe has expanded and stuff, you get a different number for that. Wow. I've been, that's wild. I've been waiting my whole life for this number to be different and not 13.7, literally since I was like six yeah. years old. <laughs> ever since, ever since I first, I've got my first book called The Universe, <laughs> I've wanted yeah. this number to be different. And, it's like I'm just like well it's kind of like realizing that you're never going to be older than your older sibling and then suddenly you get to be older than your older yeah, sibling. Yeah, suddenly they're like, "Oh, your yeah. country dissolved and your passport's not valid anymore, so you got to have a new yeah, one so you're actually exactly. zero." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, anyway, uh, long story short. <laughs> the longest possible story, slightly shorter. Uh the age of the universe might not be what we thought it was. And also Sergey Krikalov got stuck in space. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess uh, <laughs> the one big question I always I come away with here, and I feel like like I sort of get these questions sometimes relating to politics, but relating to this particular thing you've told oh, me, yeah. is there anything that I need to be terrified about? Um, like if the number changes, is that in any way scary? Well, okay, no. The Hubble constant is called a constant, but it does vary. Like it used to be lower mm-hmm. and now it's higher because it's the rate of acceleration and the rate of acceleration is mm-hmm. increasing. Um, <laughs> but no, it's fine. This literally has no impact on you at all. But you oh, should care, yeah. man. Yeah. Look, I'm I'm invested now. <laughs> this is this is a science story I plan to follow. Okay. So next time that I tell you, hey, 13.7 is not 13.7 anymore, you better know what that number I'll be, is. I'll be like, 13.3 really dramatic change yeah it's like 12.5 or whatever yeah uh anyway so that's what uh wendy friedman has probably been up to for the last like three years <laughs> what about antonio gutierrez um well i think it's also interesting for us to cover antonio gutierrez because when i was in the room with the uh former uh, the current u.n secretary general <laughs> <laughs> Oh, um, we're just dropping names. Everyone thought we were just are losers <laughs> of the podcast. Guess what? We rub shoulders. <laughs> With people you only yeah. vaguely recognize. I mean, I saw him on stage and then he didn't answer my email, but whatever. <laughs> Not better at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, it was, uh, I did end up, I, I sort of, um, a lot of my research interest kind of generated from that era and and time and hearing him speak on um basically what has now become 
um, I think probably one of the primary mandates of his role as Secretary General is the impact of climate change uh, globally and its role in displacement. Um, and I think the last, uh, so that's, I think if you, so we were kind of talking, we were joking, like, we're going to see like, what did he do for the, what he's been doing the last four years? And, and one of the big things is really being like, climate change is coming. How are we repairing? How are we helping? <laughs> is the how rate, are we helping other? Is the rate of climate change increasing or decreasing? And that's a, that's a number that actually matters. <laughs> that's scary. Yeah. Why are you bringing uh, this scary yeah, stuff uh, on the show, Kaylee? Come on. Look, I look. I you brought the space. I'm bringing the climate change. One of us has a reasonable fear. The other, who knows? Um, but yes, no. It's it's. Uh, I think by many measures, increasing for sure. Um, in terms of displacement, um, and our like ability of our international laws to and our international institutions to manage the situations that it's creating. So like, so that's the that's been happening over the four years. It's been sort of his like. Very, I think you could look at it similar. Like you know that the Pope is really getting behind climate change, and like it's a similar <laughs> sort of thing. It's like he, it's also a a, bang, a drum that he's banging and has been banging for a little while, and and I think to a certain degree, effectively and appropriately, like he's he's uh, got interesting things to say about, it and has done some interesting things. But in the last two weeks, I think we've really hit. If so, so taking the four years and looking at the last two weeks, like. Um, he went to Mozambique, which was hit very severely by cyclones, and now uh, and has been struggling internationally to raise enough money to uh, bounce back and to develop and prepare itself um, to withstand either f- future cyclones, but also build back to be able to have a stable economy and 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 stable future. Um, but like countries have not been helping them to meet their sort of like you said, like an international fundraising goal. And I think theirs was like, it was like 300 billion or or something like it was a very large number, but they haven't, they haven't really touched it at all. Um, and, and the UN similarly sent a much lower number, but that also hasn't been reached. And so Gutierrez who, uh, went to Mozambique and, uh, sort of talked about what the UN is doing and would be willing to do. And then also really pushed, um, international and probably particularly, you would say Western countries to start meeting their obligations to countries like Mozambique who are experiencing, um, climate change, but, but by all measure, not the ones that have contributed most to it. Mm. Um, and then similarly, uh, then, and then so like to really further emphasize how present this has been in his like time as secretary general, he also like has had to talk to reach out to India, who and India, Nepal, Myanmar, and I think Bangladesh have all experienced really extreme flooding lately. Mm-hmm. And the UN is also offering their assistance because I think something like a million people were displaced, um, 44 died and like... I think, uh, like several, yeah, several thousands of people are in currently in camps and trying to like don't have a place to return to. So the UN is having to is is assisting in this establishment of these camps, but also the building of uh, the rebuilding and the the disaster sort of risk reduction efforts. And so that's like kind of in the last two weeks, he's had to do both of these things. And then that's just kind of I think it's going to be. It's interesting what will be written in the books about Antonio Gutierrez when it's all over, because this is definitely going to be, I think, a big marker of his role as Secretary General. And I guess that's not quite as fun as yeah. being trapped in space, but it is um, Way to bring us interesting back origin to Earth, stories. Man. Figuratively <laughs> and literally. <laughs> <laughs>
Wow. <laughs> yeah, countries disappearing. Um, it probably won't be because of the Soviet Union dissolving, but it might be because of climate change. Yeah, what happens if Antonio Gutierrez is in Mozambique and then the UN dissolves? Uh, I think it's going to be more predictive than that before the UN dissolves. Oops. Like, I think we'll have a better heads up, but who knows? I look. I, I know what would happen because I just looked it up. And he could just fly home because he makes like $227,253 a year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think he'll be fine. He was like the prime minister of uh, Portugal before. Like, I think he's had a pretty successful um, previous career. Wait, how much? He's doing this how for much kicks. Do they make? Oh, I mean, probably not that much. But I just, I generally think that if you get to be prime minister, you probably were like a banker or a lawyer or something. What? The prime minister of Portugal. Okay, wait, let, let me get this. Prime Minister of the Portuguese Republic makes 70,000 euros in 2015. Huh? That's not very much. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, wait, I, I, found a, I found a really good Wikipedia page that I've never been on before, and I'm really stoked about it. It's called <laughs> List of Salaries of Heads of State and Government. Wow, we'll put that in, I'll put it in the newsletter if what, you want to look it up. Who do you think makes the most? You're gonna, you're not gonna get it, and then you're gonna be like, oh, of course. Uh, Putin. I don't know. Nah. One more guess. Who One is more it? guess. Uh, uh, Modi. Modi. No, not even close. The king of Saudi Arabia has a royal uh, allowance yeah. of nine point okay. six billion U.S. dollars. <laughs> I, I I think the lack of discrepancy between like absolute monarchy and prime minister yeah. is significant. I, I sorted it by like who makes the most, and it's like oh the Sultan of Brunei, the Emir of Kuwait, the Queen <laughs> of the United Kingdom. <laughs> so that's kind of not not as fun as I was hoping that it would be. Oh, hmm. but the President of Singapore makes one point four million dollars. That's like the highest paid like that's... elected official. It seems. I feel like that's. I guess it's a lot. But it is expensive to be in Singapore, and in theory, <laughs> I mean, we could do a whole episode on how much should you pay your head of state. <laughs> hey. And, like, should you pay that's it? Good, There's something to think about. Episode. If you guys want to hear yeah. how much you should, <laughs> half an hour on how much you should pay your head of state, get out of Whoa, whoa. <laughs> did you know that the governor general of Canada makes more money than the prime minister? I did, yes. Oh, um, you just know all the, you know the numbers now. You don't know how old the universe is, but you know how much the governor general makes? <laughs> Look, we're getting different masters <laughs> slash PhDs, Alex. <laughs> Don't slash me. Come on. <laughs> oh. Anyway, thanks for listening to this episode of Probably About Politics. Throwback to episode one. We cover Greece. We talk yeah. about Cyprus. We talk about the new order in Greece. We talk about space. We talk about physics. We talk about Antonio Gutierrez. Talk about Mitsotakis. I got a question, Alex. Do you think it's possible? You know, we've received a lot of requests for banter, and previously we did no banter. Do you think we've really done a Greek swing here? Like, just gone possibly too far. Yeah, we did a full Greek. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alright, well, uh, don't forget to rate and review us. Find us anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Find us on probably, what's that called? Sketcher? Stritch, Stitcher? Stitcher. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're not on Stitcher, I don't uh, think. No. But we're on Anchor. I thought we're on Stitcher. Maybe. Come on. Well, I, okay. Let's say we're on Stitcher, <clears throat> but we are definitely on Anchor. Find us on Apple Podcasts. If you don't like where you listen to us, find us on Spotify. We're definitely there. SoundCloud. We're going to put yep. all the new episodes back up there. 
Uh, we're on Google Play Music. We're on all the all the best places. Thanks for listening to yeah. Probably About Politics. Uh, find us on Twitter at ProbPolitics or send us your opinions at probablyaboutpolitics at gmail.com.